Yes, greetings everyone. Um, you're listening to KYRS uh, Medical Expo Can 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour. Um, I'm your host, Mike Malson, and we've got over here Mr. Eric Woodard. And as we're getting things uh, going here, uh, the technology and all that. Well, Eric, this week, um, they say the third time is the charm. Uh, I hope that's our true. guest today, uh, esteemed guest, is Brooke Matson, who is the executive director of uh, Spark Central, um, a nonprofit here, and she's going to talk a lot about Spark Central. But she's also an award-winning poet, uh, won a, um, a national award, and I believe has got another book coming out with a compilation of some new poems, uh, which is going to be pretty exciting. I saw the cover on Instagram the other day. It looks good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, hey, welcome, Brooke. Great to have you on the yeah, show. Thanks for having me. And I, yeah, third time's the charm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a long story, listeners. We won't go into that. But just really quick, Brooke, I mean, I think it'd be great to give the listeners a little, uh, just a little background. I know you've also been in education as a teacher um, from the state of Washington. But just, yeah, yeah, just a quick, like, you know, what got you right here? My goodness. Um, that is a story. Um, so I, what, I'm a teacher. I've been, um, I taught at Mead Alternative High School for seven years um, and taught in Spokane Public Schools for a year before that. Um, and uh, really loved that. And then moved to the non, I actually moved to Seattle to work at a nonprofit for youth. And then, um, was invited to come back here and start Spark Central. I'd been involved with Ink Art Space, um, which just Walter started that nonprofit, which is, uh, and then there was another nonprofit I was working with, Spark Literacy, and those merged to become Spark Central in 2016. And that's when I became the executive director, and um, we really focused our mission around um, igniting creativity, innovation, and imagination, and breaking barriers to creativity so that people, whatever their economic background or um, family background, could uh, have access to those opportunities and build the future that they imagine for themselves. So Now, before we get too far into this, I want to know, you're because uh, I'm a teacher, you were mm-hmm. in teaching for seven years. So what, what sprung you from the halls of education? Oh, into, into what I do now? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, personal crisis. <laughs> we won't go into that. But... Uh, I, I was really sad to leave education actually. Um, I loved it. I also, it's a, it's a job that, you know, oh man, teachers are just so un, unappreciated, um, underappreciated, I should say. Um, and I love the working with the students. I, I, being a writer though, I always wanted to do something really creative. Um, and so when it, when the time was right for me, um, or I guess I need, I should say I needed a change. I, um, look, was looking at really creative nonprofits and landed at 826 um, Seattle, which then became the Bureau of Fearless Ideas, which is a really cool thing to have on your business card. Um, <laughs> and it was all about, um, it was started by Dave Eggers, um, the original organization, 826. And it was all about igniting um, or helping kids um, become imaginative writers. And so the flavor of those programs um, that I learned and ran there, um, I was really excited to bring that back to Spokane for Spark Central, um, that kind of whimsical play and getting kids to um, 
kind of rattling them out of the idea of like everything you do is for a teacher or for an authority figure, but really is like, you know, because I think creativity is such a life skill um, and getting kids to think outside the box, getting them to do writing and art and creative innovative things for the sake of that innovation because that is really you know you know you look at arts and a lot of creative fields being cut from schools um because of budget those are the things that really you know from an economic standpoint make cities make companies thrive is that innovation um creating things that haven't been created yet build creating jobs that haven't been created yet honestly like the jobs that exist now like didn't exist when I was in high school and that rate is just like infinitely taking off so it really I think is something that um education um you know working in nonprofits, it's almost like we're supplementing sadly what is being sort of slowly cut out of the education system which is really sad because mm -hmm. if we want if we want creative solutions for the future and creative solutions in our own lives we have to develop that capacity in our brains and that is a takes programming and skills and experiences so we want everyone to have those experiences at spark so if somebody doesn't know what spark does i mean you talked a little bit about the overarching theme mm -hmm. of creativity and and supplementing maybe what's missing in schools what is i mean for somebody who if somebody walked up to you and said what is spark what yeah. do you do what does that look like i mean maybe get the nuts and bolts about what they'd find if they walked in the door yeah. what they'd find if they looked in the the you know the fall guide of of, of classes what would they see yeah. So um, I mentioned we break barriers to creativity um, because we want people to create the future they imagine, whatever their background. And we look at those barriers as um, the barriers to creativity typically being cost, confidence and access. So one of the things we offer, um, we have a beautiful space that's donated to us, um, which is awesome, um, in uh, the Kendall Yards Business District. Um, part of West Central. Uh, so that space, we provide technology access. We provide access to all sorts of resources. We have creative kits, everything from origami to like squishy circuits and, uh, you know, paper circuits, calligraphy, zine making kits. Um, so you can come in and access all that stuff. So if you walk into our space, you'll see a giant zebra. <laughs> um, you'll see a stage with all kinds of like um, engineering toys, you'll see tons of computers, VR equipment, I mean, everything you need to start dabbling and getting creative. Um, uh, and then we also offer a whole, um, a really ambitious menu of programming um, for youth and adults. Um, we're kind of famous for our youth programs, mm -hmm. which we do both in our space and we take our programming out into the community, mainly in the West Central neighborhood, um, and then invite those folks back into our space. Um, we have a lot of after school youth that drop in. Um, we have a newspaper program that runs at Holmes Elementary. Uh, so we, we're always doing stuff all the time. We have a, a program calendar you can access at spark-central.org backslash events. Um, that program calendar is always being updated. There's stuff for youth. We're increasingly adding stuff for teens. Um, there's stuff for adults. There's all ages programs and events. Um, and then what's not listed there is some of our outreach programming that we do in schools because, you know, obviously they're 
spe specific to West Central um, organizations that we work with in, in schools. But um, yeah, so we so if, if you come in, you'll see amazing stuff in our space. And you should also check out the program calendar because we're always on the move doing stuff out in the community. Um, we have a really dynamic team of people. Um, you can um, learn more about what we do. You can sign up to volunteer because we always mm -hmm. need volunteers uh, to help us with our programs and run our creative station. Um, again, that's sparks-central.org. Um, we've got, and you can get involved. Oh, and membership is free. I didn't mention that. Mm -hmm. Membership, all of our youth programs and all of our community events um, are all at no cost because we don't want that to be a barrier to access. Right. So uh, you do programs for youth and adults. Uh-huh. What sort of, uh, what, what programs excite you that are coming up for the kids and adults that, that somebody might be able to sign up for or participate in coming up in the next few months? Absolutely. Well, one I'm really excited about uh, is a one for teens and adults. Um, it's a partnership actually with the Spokane Print and Publishing uh -huh. Center, which oh, cool. those people yeah. are amazing. Um, so it's a series we're calling Arts and Letters, and um, it starts October seventh. There's so there's four work different workshops. Um, uh, the first one's Poetry and Image on October seventeenth. Um, or I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong date. October 17th, not 7th. Um, then there's a relief printmaking one on October 19th. Screen printing for broadside on October 20th. October 25th and 26th um, is a letterpress workshop. And the idea is uh, um, people can come to just one of those things and learn that skill. Or they can come to all four workshops. And by the end, they'll have an actual like piece of writing with artwork that's been um, printed on a letterpress and they'll get, if they do all four workshops, they get 10 copies. Um, and they'll also take part in a first Friday show that's going to happen at SPPC and Spark oh. Central will be there. Cool. It's going to be super cool. Um, yeah. So we're really excited about that one. Now, is that all ages? Um, that is for teens and adults. Okay. Um, you know, if you've got a really mature, like 12 year old, <laughs> then Hey, like, yeah. well, I'm sure we can work that out. Um, and we, those, um, our adult workshops are the only thing we offer that there's a charge to. Um, and, but we kept, we always keep the cost very low. So these are, I think, uh, 20 bucks. And then there's a $10 living lightly op option and all materials are, are included for, so for as little as $10, you can participate in these really amazing workshops and make something all supplies provided. Um, uh, for youth, we are just kicking off some, our, we had a youth writing, a teen writing group, um, gosh, a couple, like a couple years ago that kind of fizzled out. And we're reviving um, a new group called Pen and Paper that's a teen writing group. And that um, uh, happens once a month from 5.30 to 7 on a Thursday. Um, October 10th is the one coming up. And that is specifically a, a youth, um, a teen writing group. Um, and then we have a series of workshops um, with those as well. Um, Imaginarium is a creative play for toddlers where um, parents or guardians or grandparents can come with their little ones and play. Um, the next date on that one, uh, we've got actually um, September 17th, so next Tuesday at 10 a.m., and then we've got October 15th. And then our uh, Level Up Creativity is kicking off, which is a, an after-school program Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, 3.30 to 5.30 and every single day when youth come in after school there's a different creative activity 
um, whether it's, you know, has to do with learning electricity, building a model airplane, um, doing a writing activity, and kids can level up on this game board we have. And when you level up to a certain level, you get a kind of creative prize that you choose. So um, that's becoming increasingly popular. And uh, yeah, it's just a great resource. 3.30 to 5.30 after school at Spark Central. No, that's a heck of a lot of information. Yeah. So and there's can, more too. Uh, sure, <laughs> yeah. And they can find all that stuff at spark-central.org, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And right. um, they can always, people can always um, just walk into the station. Um, we're open Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 7 p.m. And like you can sign up for a membership that's free in five minutes and get a program guide and get connected. Well, and I was talking to a friend downstairs too. And you have a big fundraiser coming up. I mean, it's not soon, but yeah. uh, coming up in January. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So this <laughs> is exciting. So, um, yeah, it's I, I, there's a lot of galas and stuff like that. And I, I love that ours is very original. So it's Spark Salon and Jess Walter, one of our co-founders, um, always hosts a very special guest. Um, we've just confirmed that uh, Mark Stylin, um, director, producer, Hollywood writer is um, going to be our special guest. So we're very excited about that. So Jess will be in conversation with Mark and then um, we will have, we have always have kids um, in some of our programs be at the event too. Um, we always like to involve them, but it's a, it's a fantastic event. It'll be at the hangar center. Um, and our, th- you know, we kind of have this amazing theme of planes happening cause there's, it's just a beautiful event center that they have out there. Is that you in Feltsfield? It is. Oh, okay. It is. Yeah. yeah. Just the most amazing planes you've ever seen. So we're really excited and we're going to play up that. So theme. it'll be in the room with the planes. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a great event. I actually think it's going to be our best one ever. And so. our tickets are already available for that. Um, they will be soon. We're okay. working on that right now. And uh, people that would want to contribute to that or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, participate in that kind of a fundraising event. What what will they be? Where will they access that? Same same website. Yeah, same address? website. And actually, I would encourage people to. Um, there is a place where you can sign up for our newsletter, um, which we only send a couple emails a month, um, and so they can sign up there and they'll get notified when tickets are available, and they'll also get notified once a month about all the programs that are happening. So it's a great way to stay on top of what we're offering. Wow, very cool. So, Brooke, um, you know, being an executive director of a nonprofit, I know it takes a, takes a lot of work, takes a lot of time, and especially when you're moving a, a nonprofit from its infant stage and, it, and it's going through various growing transitions. Um, but you're also a poet, and to be able to compile and publish, you know, the amount of work that you have, you know, so where do you, how do you fit that in? Tell us a little <laughs> bit about, you know, you have your, your, your work life with as being an executive director, but tell us a little bit about how you, you know, are staying creative yourself through your work in poetry. It's a challenge. <laughs> I think any, <laughs> anyone who tells you, uh, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it was a challenge when I was teaching to write. You have these early mornings, you're grading papers on the weekend. And so I, I feel like probably any job is really hard to write and do a full-time job. Um, I, For me, I set a timer um, in the mornings, which sounds really like it would be very restrictive. But um, I actually feel like sometimes restrictions force you to do better work and mm-hmm. be more creative. Do you write every morning? 
Um, I try to. I can't claim to always do that because mm-hmm. um, there are some early morning meetings and, um, you know, just life stuff. You got to go to dentist appointments. But I, I it is a practice that I keep up. Um, and uh, I have some there's some really wonderful writing community in Spokane, people that um, are eager to share their work and read your work. And I'm always so grateful for people's feedback. That's, I feel like how I've gotten better is learning from others, um, getting feedback on my work, going to, you know, it's kind of cool to be part of as spark grew and, you know, we're offering writing workshops here and there um, that I would participate in those and try to increase my skills as well. But yeah, I set a timer in the morning um, for whatever time I have. And sometimes that's 20 minutes, Sometimes it's an hour and a half, um, you know, and then I write on the weekends in the mornings because I have more time. So, you you know, you just have to carve out the time. I really do believe that, you know, if you're going to write, setting time aside to actually write and then doing it is like half the battle and probably most of the battle there. Um, And then just, um, you know, doing things that keep your creativity going because, you know, work, working at a, a creative nonprofit is great, but it is still work and you have to find time to let that go and um, kind of dive into other things and switch your brain over. I call like, I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes mm-hmm. after sure. work I have to switch my brain from Absolutely. like the analytical taskmaster manager to switching over to being like, you know, just delighting in existence and a sensory experience and um, writing about that. And Well, for me, it's you're around people all day, and that's a completely different oh my skill gosh, than yeah. being all by yourself with a piece of paper. Especially or, as an introvert. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, have to, I have to, like, like <laughs> refill pro- the cup, man. Yeah. <laughs> like you get the bends yeah. if you do it too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have – but do you have – that's a, a good point because – a lot of people are in that, and people we've interviewed are in that that mode of switching on and switching off. Do you have any like personal strategies that have worked for you in terms of going from that analytic, you know, left brain mode into a little mm-hmm. bit more of a creative space? Do you have things that you do to add some yeah. leverage to that? Oh man, physical activity is a must mm. for me. Um, if I can run or bike or do something physical, that kind of helps shake me out of that. Uh, gets me in a meditative state, honestly. Mm. Um, and you know, you can, I almost feel like some days I'm like running from everything that happened in the day. <laughs> Just like, leave it behind, leave yeah. it behind, leave it behind. Um, so that I can focus. Cause if your brain, I actually was listening to this podcast about entrepreneurship and I feel like a lot of creative people have that entrepreneurial gene or whatever. Mm. Um, but you know, one of the things that makes you effective is to not be running at 50% all the time, but to be at either 0% or 100%. And so I really do try to decide, okay, right now I'm going to go from 100% down to zero and do something that will help me get there. But if you're just constantly thinking about work or Mm. thinking about the creative stuff when you're at work, you know, it just, it becomes very difficult. And so it's not, it's not something I perfected, but it's something I strive to keep those things separate because I think you have to in a way if you're going to be successful at both um you have to keep the keep the wall there I guess (laughs) so you're you have a obviously a literary background you when you came out of college you went in to teach yeah um language arts English language arts but where did the poetry muse 
or when did the poetry muse bite you and or why did you pick poetry versus maybe writing novels or, or nonfiction or other types of things uh, like that? Uh, my attention span is suited to poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, which is an honest thing to say. Uh, I, all, I've always written stories. I actually, when I was a kid, I would write um, storybooks like stapled paper books, you know, and like force my little sister to read them. They were all about like, yeah, crazy animals and stuff. Uh, but so I did always write stories and poetry, but I think as I've gotten older, um, poetry is like, I think, I think I'm a person that has trouble sometimes getting in touch with my emotions or like kind of staying connected to them. And so, um, Poetry is one of the best ways I know of to process uh, what's going on inside of me mm. so that it doesn't kind of eat me up inside. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's just I think in high school, I really started writing a lot of poetry, which was terrible. <laughs> but it it I, it got me in the habit of um, that practice. Mm -hmm. And so and that continued through college and then even as a teacher, um, I had a great high school English teacher, Dan Peters, who really encouraged me um, to keep writing. Um, uh, he was just a gifted teacher all around, but especially in terms of poetry. And so in college, I would send him my work and he'd send it back with comments and um, it really kept me going. And so teachers make such a difference, I think, um, you know, they when you have them as teachers and also afterwards as mentors. So, um, yeah. So I, and then I just kind of kept at it and that's what you have to do as a writer is just, even when you really suck, that's mm -hmm. part of getting to the good stuff. I, and I don't want to say good, like it's everything else was not good, but you know what I mean? You develop your voice as a writer by just sort of word vomiting. And mm. then eventually like gold comes out, <laughs> like, but you can't plan it that way. You just have to like yeah. go through the mess first. So, so what kind of style of poetry? I mean, there's all different kinds of s styles, I guess, or, uh, types of poetry you know mm -hmm. and there's and we hear different kinds of poetry like you might hear at a slam a poetry slam yeah. versus you know you know collections of poetry some that are very long and some that are very short um some are rhyming mm -hmm. some are not <laughs> kind of where where are you approaching that you know i, I it's so interesting because i had someone tell me once like you're all over the place. Like, you know, re like really I am. And I, but I like that because I'm always, um, I'm always getting bored with things and want to shake it up. Um, so I like, I kind of, I would say, um, I'm somewhere, um, I mean, a little confessional in terms of poetry, but also I do love structure and form. And I've, I feel like that I've grown in that area. Yeah, so I, I like it all. Um, and I often will read a writer and then um, or a poet and then get excited and try to mimic their style in mm. a way and then find my own kind of way of doing what they're doing. So um, that's always great. Uh, yeah, so I would say I'm all over the place. In fact, the, the book that's coming out in Accelerated Silence um, is coming out in February. And that is an interesting book because I really did experiment quite a bit. And so you, there's quite a range of voices and personas in the manuscript, um, which is kind of lends a cool multidimensional quality to it. Um, yeah. But I feel like if I got into a, 
place where I was writing a lot of poems that sounded the same, I'd like, I'd want to shake it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So maybe compare or contrast, you know, you, you recently got a national award for another, for a book that you had just published. And, and or, or it's the upcoming one. Uh, yeah. This mm. is the one you got yep. the award mm-hmm. for is the upcoming yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. So generally, what is there a theme? I mean, what what goes into putting something like that together? Um, do you think more thematic with your collection of poems, or is it really like you know, kind of what you said in regards to your attention span? It kind of jumps from one thing to another. Um, oh, in terms of what the, the yeah in the, the compilation, yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's a body of work um, that is um, it's. I would say it's mainly a grief narrative. Um, and Eric asked when I left teaching, it was, I had, there's a, a, a death uh, in my life that was really um, unexpected and profound. But uh, so this book is a lot of, of the grief dealing with that. But I, so when I moved to Seattle in my crisis, I worked at a space travel supply store, which was also the uh, the front end of the writing studio. Hey, what? It, it's so, <laughs> so 826 Seattle or the Bureau of Fearless, Fearless Ideas. It's a writing center for youth, but on the front end, it's a space travel supply store. You can go in and you can buy like cans of gravity. I mean, of course, it's just oh, like okay. oh, so like the one in San Francisco yeah. is a pirate store. Exactly. Gotcha. Very okay. playful yeah. and whimsical. Um, and so there's, I was surrounded by space stuff and I just started getting really into science and reading up on things. I started listening to a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson and David mm. Green. And, um, you know, when you're, you, when you're grieving, you're kind of disoriented. And so it was sort of a something to focus on. So I really <laughs> went way into science. So science and especially the science of light and um, of astrophysics and physics in general is part of the book. A um, little bit of particle physics in there too, but I use them kind of as um, metaphors or lenses through which um, different voices are heard. But it's all, um, yeah. So that's very vague. But yeah, I would say <laughs> I would say it's sciency. It's sad, but then there's a redemptive quality to it too. I think. Well, um, and I know. Did you get to have any say on the cover of the book? Um, I, you know, I did, uh, yeah, they are, Milkweed is really wonderful and they sent me some cover options, uh, which were beautiful, but not quite what I had pictured. And so I wrote them back and was like, Hey, these are great. Could we think about some more things? And I, could we like pretty please have <laughs> like red and outer space in there? Cause there's a lot of red oh, in the book, mm-hmm. um, the color red. So, uh, and then she sent that one and I just was like, that's it. Right. Uh, right. That is like, because as you were talking about that, I thought that cover fits so perfectly. Yeah, it was literally like, I opened my email and the angels sang. You know, it's just like I emailed her back right away. Like it's beautiful and I love it. So yeah, so I'm really thrilled with it, and I think it captures the tone of the book really well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Can you walk us through the process of how you go from being a person who every morning sets a timer and writes a poem to winning the prize to? having a book published i mean what is how, how does i mean there's there's no obviously there's no template for this no, but i, no I mean there might be some people who jot some stuff down what 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 was the yeah. process of going from a to m or wherever man that is so um this is gonna be maybe a cop-out answer but like <laughs> i do think you just have to keep writing like uh so one of the things that kept me going on this 
was kind of a, um, I felt like I was keeping a promise to the person that I lost. And so I really was trying to push through, um, uh, well, I just kept writing. Um, that's the first thing. And then um, getting other people to read your work and give you feedback and being receptive to that feedback. Um, and, you know, re- even poems that are about sentimental things, I feel like should be good poems. And so I really wanted that. Um, yeah, I think you just, uh, and then and then once you have a collection, really, I began to lay them out. My upstairs bedroom looked like something like beautiful mind where I would just have these poems kind of laid out. I have sketches on the wall. Um, I don't know. I kind of felt like I was, um, uh, just sort of burning up in this process, you know, which was great. Like I would spend whole weekends sometimes just revising poems, arranging poems. I, I mean, for months at a time I had papers all over that room on the floor (laughs) and on the walls, just trying to like figure out what was happening and arranging things in a way that made sense and kind of created an arc, um, and thematically arranging it. Um, and so I had, but when I got the manuscript to a point where I was excited about it, I shared it with some people who gave me feedback. Then I did more revisions. Then I rearranged it again. Then I did gave it to other people who gave me more feedback and I arranged it again. And I was actually in the process of arranging it for like the fifth time when, um, when I got the news that I won the prize. Cause I had been sending it out periodically, um, with this idea that like, well, it'll just get rejected, but like, it'll give me feedback maybe, or like, let me know if it needs improvement. So, um, it had got, it, it was the finalist in, um, three contests and then it, and then I got the news that it was a finalist in this one. And I kind of expected it to like get the rejection. And then I got a call when I had the mm-hmm. flu that, and my brain was like in sick brain. And all I heard was like, blah, 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 Mark Doty, this prize, Copper Nick. And so I was like, whoa, whoa, this is Brooke Matson. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, it was like, I woke up and, uh, <laughs> You know, and then promptly started crying on the phone. So like, <laughs> so it was a, it was a it was a gift, um, one that I ho- was hoping for. But also, you know, I just think that like, it's funny. Like, of course, every writer wants publication, but I will say that I am almost a little bummed it's over because it was such a meaningful process and almost was like a propelling force in my life that I was a little depressed when I sent it off at the end. I've Um, heard many artists say that. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's like a loss uh, Mm -hmm. almost. Um, uh, and it was such an emotional process that, um, (laughs) that now I'm building up new poems and, and writing again, but I've had to really kind of like take I had to take a break from writing for a little bit and then come back to it so yeah so which feels good I feel like my new poems are have a different flavor and that's good you know like you should evolve and change as a writer so for sure yeah yeah I think a couple things that you know what you just talked about are really important for for anybody that you know really wants to get good at a craft number one is and we've heard Chuck Close's uh, famous quote you know inspirations for amateurs I mean there's a lot of work. I mean, you, a lot of brute force that just goes into yeah. 
grinding through that process every day, you know, re rearranging your poems and doing this. And then, and then the other thing is the importance of feedback. I think, mm-hmm. you know, having somebody that you trust, you know, so that you get better. Are there poets here in Spokane that you, you can mention that you, you really look to or are kind of some go-to people that provide? Oh gosh, provide? there's so many. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, oh man, the list is long. Um, Laura Reed was one of the first people to read the manuscript um, in a very early stage, which is quite different from now. Um, Tom Carraway oh, was so generous with his time and feedback really line by line stuff um lindsey hill is actually um he's a consultant but he's also um an amazing writer and poet and uh it i am just so grateful to him he when he read (laughs) when he read my manuscript man i mean he like dissected that thing and i have it's such a gift when someone does that with your work mm. like they put that much energy and focus on it so i was very grateful um lauren gilmore um maya zeller cat smith um uh i'm gonna forget someone important i know um there was a lot of people who read the manuscript and um gave me great feedback and which i then incorporated um and kept it going nance van winkle todd marshall um nance was very encouraging um to, and same with Todd, uh, both, the, and they're all, all these people mm-hmm. I mentioned and more are such, we have such tremendous, amazing <laughs> poets and writers in Spokane that I just was so, always so grateful when those people would, were, were willing to look at my work, make, ta- made time for it. Um, it's something that I try to do for others when I can. Um, it doesn't always happen. Um, but yeah, it's just so grateful. And I also appreciate people's patience because there was the first poem in the manuscript that's coming out is like, or in the books coming out. I wrote so many, I probably wrote, no joke, like f- at least 50 drafts of that poem. And I kept bringing it back to people and be like, okay, now please, I think I have it this time. And they were just like, maybe you just need to like let this poem go. And I was like, no, there's something here. And so I, I was jokingly at one point I put like draft 867 at the top when I gave it. So, cause I was like, I know you're sick of this poem, but it has to work. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you should let poems go, but then there are some that haunt you. And that one, I just was like, I have to make this work. And it did in the end. So well, I, we'd love to hear a poem. If you, we're going to do our spiel for a couple yeah. of minutes and yeah. talk about, yeah. uh, trying to get some, uh, some money from people sure. who are listening, but maybe find a poem that you can uh, read to us after we talk about okay. this. Um, if you would like to donate some money to help keep us on the air, you can call 747-3807. Again, that's 509-747-3807. And uh, what we have today is a pretty cool deal. Bart Hagen has agreed to match Every donation up to $200. So if you are able to donate $50, uh, he will give another $50 and turn your $50 into $100. i am looking at a, a thermometer over there that tells us we're at about $10,000, um, which is not bad. Uh, but I see at the top of the thermometer, it looks like we want to get up to $25,000. So we're not even halfway there yet. Uh, if you're listening, uh, then you know that there's a lot of cool quality programming on here. It's local. It's non-corporate. It's non-commercial. Uh, so if you could help keep us on the air, help keep uh, the employees here with their health insurance and things like that, that would be wonderful. You can call 747-3807 or you can text give KYRS 
44321. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. Text give K Y R S all one word to 44321. And if you're already a monthly donor, uh, you could consider increasing your donation. Maybe you donate three or five dollars per month to K Y R S. Please consider increasing that to maybe seven or ten dollars per month. Also, new membership levels, um, 36 or $3 per month. You get a sticker and a newsletter, $120 or $10 per month, a T-shirt, sticker, and newsletter. $360 or $30 per month, you get a T-shirt, sticker, and newsletter, and two tickets to the KYRS auction, which is going to be some amazing um, um, items there to um, have a chance at at the silent auction. It's a great event, big fundraiser. Um, and again, as Eric said, uh, it's the whole notion of uh, having a comedian radio station where you have such a diverse um, opportunities to hear uh, a diverse voices and perspectives, uh, things that you don't get in commercial radio. And it's all local. That's it. Yeah. Uh, also, as Mike was talking, I was looking at stuff across the way. It's very busy in here. I wish you could see it. There's, uh, it looks very festive in here. It looks like New Year's. But there's a challenge pledge going on. It says we have a generous generous challenge pledge from the Elk Public House and Gino's Restaurant and Bar. If 25 people call in with $5 per month pledges, uh, John Grolmus from the Elk and Gino's will match it with a $250 gift. So if we could just get 25 people with $5 per month pledges and it looks like if i'm reading that right down below we already are 17 people in to our goal of 25 so if uh, we could get uh wait yeah 17 Mm -hmm. so if we could get eight more people to call in with a five dollar per month pledge we'd get an extra 250 bucks which would be a pretty big deal so give a call again that's 747-3807 yeah so brooke yeah um, got a poem for us I do, yeah. So I'm not going to read from the the in accelerated silence because I'm going to keep the suspense going. But um, <laughs> I, these are these are some poems that I uh, so I've been writing um, not so much lately, but in the spring I was writing a lot about family, and so I have a couple poems. This one's called Dust Devil. Devil, because it lived in the desert alone, because it dwelled in spin and form and body, then kicked off to off a rock and vanished, the dirt collapsing like abandoned clothes. Naming a thing makes it so. My sister and I listened to every pocket rocker mixtape in the back seat, miming lyrics we didn't understand, the car scraping like a match across the August interstate. We were that bored, naming things that had names already, naming the steel transformer towers Giant Marcy, because if you squinted, they looked like the life-sized paper cutout I made of myself in kindergarten. The day I brought it home, my sister named it Giant Marcy, because it seemed bigger than me, though my body spread eagle on the classroom floor gave it form. Her crayoned face was more lurid than mine. She looked like a Marcy. She looked powerful, a massive chrome shape duplicating across the horizon. So many arms the clouds couldn't escape. The dust devil followed us too. But it wasn't a devil, mom said, only wind. It seemed determined to me hot little ghost. Each time we drove close, it danced away like a snake, and once it ran straight at the hood of our car and opened like a flower. We drove right through where it flung out its arms. 
I, we used no. to, uh, I grew up in Yakima, so driving along that highway, you know, uh, there's just, yeah, lots of dust devils. Yeah, it, there was that feeling of dryness in there. Yeah. I really yeah. liked, yeah, 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 that was cool. That very cool. And you said you had another one? Uh, yeah, so this ah. one, this one's called Sun in Two Dimensions. Now, question, are these two related in any way, thematically or content-wise? Uh, they're both childhood poems, Okay, yeah. which I was in a phase where I was kind of digging back uh, to kind of who I was as a kid. You know, we, I think we all do that at some point when mm-hmm. we're an adult and trying to figure ourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Dust in Two, or Sun, sorry, Sun in Two Dimensions. She draws a sphere, a concentric corona of fire. Light has mass in this picture. The family below is oblivious to the covalence of their elliptical faces, their stick hands linked like a fence, oblivious to the nuclear fusion erupting above their heads. But she doesn't use that language. White paper defines the sky. Line becomes leg. She scrapes a green crayon around their shoes as if it could anchor them to the earth. She cannot pry them from the page, bring them any closer. The corporeal disc hovers above them like an unspoken word, the constant in the equation of her life. Their smiles curl under its heat. I guess those are both sun dry poems. Yeah. Yeah. Did you just That's realize Yakima that? For you. Yeah, I guess I did. Well, speaking yeah. of Yakima and kind of talking about your childhood, tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe your family and maybe the influence they had or uh, that the past and how that is kind of infused yeah. in your poetry. Um, boy. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of three girls. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> grew up in, uh, in Yakima and we, so my family, we lived in the west side of Yakima, which is more rural. And then as, um, you know, as we grew up, the development kind of grew up around us. And a lot of the apple orchards mm-hmm. were cut out, um, which is really sad. Um, my dad worked in the apple industry um, as an industrial machinist, um, kind of master craftsman um, for Treetop and other companies before he started his own company. And, um, yeah, it's just this very... Um, you're very connected to nature because it's all around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's strange now because my parents live in the same house that I grew up in. But there's like the surroundings are completely different. There's It's all suburbia now. And many of the orchards are shopping centers. And they're called the orchards, which is, makes me angry. <laughs> uh, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's just it was this sort of very rural um, kind of, uh, I would say lonely because you know, uh, it wasn't a very rich connected community. Um, but it was rural. So you're connected to nature, I guess. Um, yeah. So I think I was, I have written a lot of poems, um, kind of exploring that feeling of loneliness when I was a kid and the connection to nature and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I heard that in the poems. And in fact, I think last time we were here, didn't you write a poem about what was on the other side of the fence from oh, your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you had I read that. I did. Oh, I should have brought that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was... That's, yeah. That must be a weird no, feeling. No, the field... Yeah, so the field... Yeah, so yeah, the field mm-hmm. behind our house, right. which was such a kind of um, iconic part of my childhood is just gone now, um, which is a weird thing. But um, it really... We weren't allowed to go into the field. 
um, because it was belonged to a farmer and there were some horses and cows and stuff. Um, but we would always, we'd sneak over sometimes. Um, but when the wind would blow, like the whole field would move. And there was um, salsify, I think is how you say it. They're like almost like giant dandelions. Mm. And when those seeds would fly, it was like this incredible storm of like, you know, um, we called it a wish storm. I think my sister and I. <laughs> oh, what a great like, term! It was just like these amazing, like you know. I mean, you were just caught up in it. It was so beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all it's all gone now. And then and then I have a traumatic poem about um, <laughs> when the cows were slaughtered. Like we literally was like out looking out one day of the back our back screen door, and I was like, "What's all that red in the field?" And my mom's like, "Oh my, yeah, because they they were slaughtering the cows oh essentially." My gosh. So. Yeah, I mean, all those things you learn about life right. in your childhood that... <laughs> that the farm kids learn before yeah, the kids right, do. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Really, all those like all that violence yeah. stuff. And and Yakima did have a lot of crime when I was growing up. It still does, I think, but not nearly what it was. So that shows up in the poems as well. So. Now I want to go back a ways because I'm interested in this question. When I didn't grow up wanting to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a teacher who inspired me, and that made me want to be a teacher much later in life. And you talked about your teacher who was so influential. Yeah. Did you grow up wanting to be a teacher? No. Oh, what did you oh, want to God, do? Oh, God, no. Oh, why, Isn't why? that okay, crazy? Now, yes. Why do you say God, <laughs> no? That's what I want to know. So I always loved school, but like it never occurred to me to be a teacher. Uh-huh. I was always like, I'm going to be a writer and a illustrator of my own books that was it and did teaching feel like a a defeat like you had conceded defeat no actually it's like i couldn't be a writer so now i'm gonna be a teacher no so actually so i you know you grow up and you kind of have your i want to be this beaten out Mm -hmm. of you and so you know my dad was like you're gonna starve if you're a writer Mm -hmm. forget that you know do something practical uh which you know they're looking out for me in a different way (laughs) um so i guess i did both really i got a job in i'm a writer um so uh but yeah so i wanted to be a writer and illustrator and then somewhere along the way i was super into video games so i was like oh design video games and you know write the stories for them and create the worlds and was super into technology and then i was so i actually got into drafting and autocad in high school Hmm and was going down the road to become an engineer or some sort of programmer. And then, uh, and then I had this amazing English teacher and it suddenly was like, and you know, when we talk about getting girls involved in STEM and engineering fields, I mean, it's a real thing. It's a real need because when I took my AutoCAD and drafting class, I really enjoyed the actual act of 3d design and stuff but i was the only girl in there mm. and it was not my tribe so i was essentially <laughs> like i i can't do this my entire life i will be miserable and lonely so i just i was like and so then i just i loved this teacher ignited my love of poetry and i was like i have to like this is what i want to do and he would have us teach mini lessons to the rest of the class, oh. which is a great skill mm-hmm. to learn perform. And I love those. And I would prep these amazing plans <laughs> for those. And um, yeah, so I actually left college or I, I left high school and entered college with the idea of I was going to had three kind of majors. I was exploring engineering um, education and English um, because I knew I'd be an English teacher if I was a teacher and religious studies because I always am fascinated by philosophy and studying different religions and so um, within like six months I was like yep education like that's what I want to do I didn't actually enjoy my education classes but I loved the field experiences like being in the schools Mm -hmm. I think uh, education classes can be dry but yeah so I I just 
kind of, and actually I had a professor who, when I, he was encouraging me to get my MFA, which, and I still kind of want that someday, but he was like, oh, don't go out into the workforce yet. Go get your grad degree and, um, you know, do an MFA. And I was like, well, I want to be a high school English teacher. And he was just like, what a waste. Mm. That was, those are his words. What a mm. waste. And in that moment, I was like, well, God damn it. I'm going to go become a, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, I forgot public radio. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, uh, but I was like, dang it. I'm going to go become a teacher. Um, so uh, I, it kind of made me more excited to get out into the world and get my hands dirty. So. Yeah, well, what a great question because it kind of you kind of ended up through this journey in in almost kind of a perfect spot though, really, because what you just talked about, Spark Central, and what they're doing for kids. There's a lot of STEM. There's a lot of technology. There's the writing aspect, and there's the teaching aspect. There's the mentor aspect, and there's all those things that you just talked about. And, and a sense of family, too. Yeah. I mean, have you ever thought about that? As like, this is not a pretty good gig. Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because my parents who see what I do now, and I'm like, yeah, you know, like, dude, we have a hippo puppet that publishes books. <laughs> and, like, you know, we work with – they're like, so pretty much everything you did as a kid, like, now? And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. So, you know. Could be worse, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well – Eric, it's hard to believe, but our time is up. Yeah. And Brooke, man, it was amazing to have you as a guest. So uh, fun to talk you. to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs>